Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. Well, quite a few years ago, the Lord impressed me in my spirit that if I had only one opportunity to share the most important thing that I had ever learned, what would it be? And you know, without hesitation, I believe that what I'm going to be sharing with you today has had by far the most life-changing effect on my Christian life. Now, I'm convinced that this little bit of information that I'm going to be sharing with you out of the Word can make the difference between success and failure in the life of any Christian. I don't care where they are in their spiritual growth, whether they're in the ministry or not, that this can make all the difference in the world. I believe without reservation that as you hear this today, if you'll just nail it down and make it a permanent, irrevocable, irrevocable quality decision, I believe that 99% of your emotional and spiritual struggles will be over. Now, this is not exactly a Bible study. This is more like a testimony of how this simple truth became the foundation of my personal faith and that of my family. Now, I'm believing that this message can revolutionize your life. And I believe you are here by divine appointment. Quite a few years ago, I woke one morning and I was quoting, those who trust the Lord will not be disappointed. Now, to my knowledge, I had never remembered reading that scripture in the Bible before. But all day long, I just kept finding myself quoting that phrase, those who trust the Lord shall not be disappointed. And by afternoon, I realized that something very unusual was happening. I finally realized that God was giving me something important that he wanted me to hear. And so I began to search through the Bible, and I found it in the New American Standard, those who trust the Lord shall not be disappointed. I looked it up in the King James, and it said, those who trust the Lord shall not be ashamed. Well, when I looked in the Greek, I found that it meant ashamed, disappointed, confounded. But the Lord was dealing with me in just one area. He was dealing with me in the area of disappointment. So over the next few days, the Lord began to show me that most Christians never go on to get the total victory simply because at some point in their life, they get disappointed. At some point, they come to a place where they feel disappointed and they begin to meditate on that disappointment. And then, even though they may never realize it, Consciously or subconsciously, they somehow take that disappointment over and they put it on God and they become disappointed with God. Subconsciously, they think that God didn't come through in some area of their life. Now, the Lord took me on a search through the Word of God, and the very first scripture to which I was led was Matthew 11, verse 6. And it says, Blessed is he who does not stumble in me. Now, I had always prayed that I wouldn't stumble, but I couldn't see what that had to do with disappointment. Well, the next scripture he took me to was 1 Peter 2, verse 6. 1 Peter 2, 6. And Peter's quoting out of the Old Testament. And he said, For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. And he who believes in him, or he who trusts in him, shall not be disappointed. There was that scripture. Now, this precious value, then, is for you who believe... But for those who disbelieve, those who don't trust, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and it became a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Well, when I read that, all of a sudden, I realized why Matthew 11, verse 6 said, Blessed is he who does not stumble in me. 
And I realized what that had to do with disappointment. This scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2 very plainly said, He who trusts in me shall not be disappointed. But then it goes right on to say that the one who doesn't trust will become disappointed. And when they become disappointed, then the rock, Jesus, the word, becomes a rock of stumbling. When that disappointment comes in, then it allows us to come to a place where we stumble. Now, it's in choosing not to be disappointed that brings us into this kind of trust. And that's what keeps us from the stumbling. Now, trusting God's going to take in a lot more than just our eternal salvation. Trusting is going to start with the new birth. But if a person is not trusting in God in every area of their life, there's going to come a time they're going to get disappointed in God. It may just be subconsciously, but they're going to become disappointed in God. And when they do, then the things in the word of God will become a rock of stumbling. The word becomes a stumbling block. Now, I didn't want to stumble. So I was ready to hear every single thing that God had to show me about disappointment. And I began to search through the word and I found that all through the word of God, God had reiterated this same truth over and over. Those who trust in the Lord shall not be disappointed. Two times, uh, Paul quoted it in the very same letter to the Romans. In Romans 9 verse 33 and Romans 10 verse 11, he said, those who trust in the Lord shall not be disappointed. And he was quoting from Isaiah 28 verse 16. Now, in the Hebrew, it means disturbed, confounded, disappointed. In Psalm 22, verse 5, it says, In thee we trusted, and we were not disappointed. Now, I found this same truth paraphrased over 25 times in the Old and New Testament. And 10 times verbatim, it was a direct quote, Those who trust in the Lord shall not be disappointed. Now, I don't think that there's any other promise in the Word of God that's quoted verbatim that many times. It was a direct quote ten times. Now, I knew that the Lord was trying to get that message across to me, and I knew in my spirit that this was something that was going to be very important to me in the future. And I remember thinking, but Lord, I think I do trust you, but there are times I get disappointed, but does that mean that I'm not trusting you? And and I began to almost argue with the Lord, Lord... Sometimes it looks like the word's not working, and I do get confused, and and I do get a little disappointed, but Lord, I I think I'm still trusting you. Well, the Lord began to show me that trust and disappointment are exact opposites, just like fear and faith are opposites, and that we can't operate in both of them at the same time. If I'm disappointed, I'm not trusting God. When I'm trusting God, there's not going to be any disappointment there. Now, I want you to notice how it's stated. Those who trust shall not be disappointed. In other words, the trusting is present tense when we're trusting God. And the shall not be disappointed where we see the results and we're not disappointed in the results. That's future tense. Now, this is a promise with a condition that if we trust and continue to trust present tense, that the time will come every single time that we will not be disappointed literally in the outcome. Now, it doesn't say that opportunities won't present themselves. It doesn't say that we won't have temptations to distrust. I promise you, you're going to have plenty of opportunities. But when that happens, then the ball's in our court. The decision is ours, and it's a choice. And I have to decide, am I going to fall for that opportunity to be disappointed? Or am I going to determine in my heart, Lord, I'm trusting you. 
and I don't care what it looks like now, I'm not going to be disappointed. The time's going to come. I'm not going to be disappointed. So I'm going to choose right now that I'm not going to allow myself to wallow in disappointment. See, if I refuse to accept disappointment, if I continue to trust, God promises that he will intervene in the matter. And when he intervenes, then the time will come that I'll see that he really did work it together to bring good, that, that I won't be disappointed in the outcome. Now, that boggled my mind at first. I thought, Lord, how can you do that? I don't see how you can do that on some of the situations that I faced Those who trust in the Lord shall not be disappointed. That's literal. But the trusting is the prerequisite before we see the outcome. Well, how do we know if we're trusting? And I began to pray and I said, Lord, just just show me how I can know if I'm really trusting you. And he said, turn it around. He said, if I was allowing myself to wallow in feelings of disappointment, if I was allowing myself to be disappointed, then I was not operating in trust. That could be my barometer. And I said, okay, Lord, how do I come into this kind of trust? Well, it starts by simply making a quality decision. A quality decision where we come to a place where we say, Lord, I'm choosing to trust you. See, what we do, we try to make faith and trust too hard. We try to work up trust. We try to muster up faith until we get to feeling faith. And we struggle and we strive. But see, faith is simply a decision to believe God. That's all it is. You don't have to feel anything. Trust is a decision. It's a quality decision where we say, Lord, I don't care what this situation looks like. I don't care what my reasoning is saying. I don't even care if it looks like you didn't come through. I don't care what the world is saying. I don't care what the reports are saying. I don't care what my emotions are dictating at the moment. I am going to trust you. I'm going to trust what you tell me. See, it's a quality decision where we say, I've made up my mind that from this day forth, this word is going to be my final decision. I choose to be obedient, Lord, anything that you tell me to do. And as far as I'm concerned, the case is closed. It's in your hands. And when we do that, then it is up to God. Now, that's the quality decision. As simple as it sounds, you don't have to feel a thing. It's an act of your will. It's not an act of your emotions. It's a decision. It's a choice to trust. Now, the Lord gave me a simple little statement to say out loud every single time that I was faced with the opportunity to get disappointed. I was simply to say, Lord, in this particular situation, and then name it, whatever it was, name it out loud. In this particular situation, and then I named it, I choose to trust you. Now, I've probably done that 10,000 times. Lord, in this particular situation, I choose to trust you. But you know, there's something about saying it out loud that releases our faith. When I say out loud, Lord, I'm trusting you in this, and I name it, then it's like faith begins to build up. Now, you're not going to be able to help the thoughts that might come knocking at your mind's door. You may have some fear thoughts, and you may have some doubt thoughts, and you may have several, well, Lord, what if thoughts? But you can help which thoughts you take in and begin to mull over and think through. See, once we open our mind's door to think through a situation and mull over the why it looks like it's not working and why it appears not to be working out, why this and why that, we're going to find out that out goes the trust and in comes the disappointment. And then when that happens, the rock becomes a rock of stumbling. Now, I'm giving you some life and death information today that can literally save your spiritual walk from taking a real detour. And I'm not talking about positive thinking. 
I'm talking about choosing to trust to the extent that you develop an expectancy in the fact that God is going to do exactly what he promises to do. Now, this is not a passive trust. Some people think of trust as being passive, but I'm not talking about anything passive today. I'm talking about a trust where we say, Lord, I'm trusting you, and I know that the time's going to come that I'm not going to be disappointed because you promised. So I'm trusting now, and and the time will come that I'll see I truly was not disappointed, that my choice not to be disappointed paid off. Now, this is an expectancy in God's integrity. This is not mind over matter where we think, oh, I'm just going to refuse to think about it and maybe it'll go away. Or where we think, well, you know, maybe the time's going to come when I, I won't be so disappointed. Maybe I'll have forgotten about the disappointment. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a supernatural intervention. God says those who trust in the Lord shall not be disappointed. Literally. He's saying with trust comes my intervention into the matter. Well, over the next year, I woke practically every morning and went to sleep almost every night, quoting, those who trust in the Lord shall not be disappointed. It became just kind of a household phrase. It was just kind of a family motto. See, God was preparing us. That scripture was becoming rhema in our household, and it literally brought us through situation after situation. Now, I'm going to share some of the examples of how God intervened while we were learning this foundational truth. And it's going to help it come alive because this works. It will work. We felt like the Lord was telling us to build a house out in the country and that we were to pay for that house as we went. And we were to look to him to supply everything that we needed. Now, that house became such a training ground for us in our spiritual walk that when it was over with, the Lord said the house is just a fringe benefit. What we learned was worth every bit of the problems that we went through. Now, we're going to find that the things we go through, the things that we experience, will be a training ground to grow spiritually if we allow them to be. Now, only good gifts come from God. But He will take those things that were meant for evil, and He'll turn them around and use them for our good if we allow Him to do so. Now, this is, was a large house, and it took about three and a half years to complete it. Now, that scripture was in our heart because we had quoted it, and we had meditated on it for so long. And I could give you examples for the next two hours on how the house alone uh, was an opportunity for us to be disappointed, and we had to choose to trust God. But I'm only going to share um, about four examples from the house itself, and then I'll, I'll give you some other examples. We had a lot of windows in this house, and we had gotten the house dried in, and we had all the windows installed, but we decided since we weren't ready to move into the house that we wouldn't put the screens on the windows. We'd save the screens back so they'd look new. Well, we didn't realize that it was going to be two and a half years before we came to the place where the house was finished and we could put those screens on. And when we put the screens on, it was in the springtime, and we were in the middle of a Texas drought. And within a month at night, there were just light, I mean, uh, bugs just flying around the lights in every room. And I'm not talking about a few bugs. I'm talking about the room was just full. Well, when we started looking, we found that the screens had holes in them. Some, some of the holes were as big as softballs. Well, everything in us was tempted to be disappointed because we had about 32 windows and uh, we'd had those screens stored for two and a half years and... So we thought, well, there's no way we can take them back. You know, what are we going to do? 
Well, we felt that we were supposed to go back to uh, the lumber yard. We had been quoting our scripture, Lord, we're trusting you and we're not going to be disappointed. And so when we got to the lumber yard, we told the manager and he said, well, you've had him for two and a half years. And I could tell that he wasn't the least bit interested. But he went ahead and made a call to the company, and he just very briefly told them the story, told them about the grasshoppers, told them how many screens we had and what size. And then he added, but they've had them for two and a half years. And it was almost like he was saying, uh, you know, you really don't have to worry about this. They've had them plenty long. But he didn't bother to tell them that those screens had been stored. And then when he got off the phone, he said, I'm sorry, that's all I can do. Well, I got the impression that the only reason he had made that phone call was just to appease us. Well, for the next two weeks, we contended with bugs. Everything in us was tempted to be disappointed. And we just kept quoting our scripture, Father, we're trusting you. We're not going to be disappointed. Now, there was nothing whatsoever in the natural to give us any hope. But two weeks later, the phone rang and the guy at the lumber yard just simply said, I have your screens. Now, even though it had been two and a half years, no question asked, they had made all new screens. This time they didn't make them out of plastic. They made them out of screen wire. They had shipped them free of charge. God had supernaturally intervened in that matter. Now, in addition to the windows, we put in nine eight-foot glass patio sliding doors. We had them in the back of the house and in the front of the house and upstairs. Well, in no time at all, we couldn't open those patio doors more than just about eight inches. We just kind of squeezed through. Now, I was not the least bit concerned because the guy that installed them said, these may need to be adjusted. Just call me if they need to be adjusted. We called the guy and he came out. And in a minute, he came in the kitchen and he said, listen, I'm sorry, but your house is settling and there's no way to adjust these windows. And he showed me where one of the frames had already bent under the pressure of the house. And he said, the time's going to come that there's going to be glass all over the floor. Well, I knew that house wasn't settling. That house is built on a rock, not just the rock of Jesus, but it's built on a solid rock. It's on a hill. And I knew it wasn't settling, but it was obvious that the frame was bent. So I knew we were in trouble. And it just kept ringing in my ear, there's absolutely nothing that you can do. Well, I would have these horror pictures in my mind of these nine big holes in, in the wall, in the back and the front and upstairs. But we kept confessing, Lord, you've given us this scripture and we've, sa- we've seen you come through time after time and we're trusting you and we're not going to be disappointed. And so one night Jack went to sleep and he had this dream and he said that he saw himself jacking up the porch and the patio. There's a porch in the front and a patio in the back. And he said he saw himself jacking up the porch and the patio and when he did, the patio glass doors opened and closed freely. Well, we called the guy that had installed them and he said, oh, don't do that. You'll make it worse. You'll put a lot more pressure and you'll pop them out immediately. And so we prayed about it for a good while and Jack said, I'm going to have to go with what I think God has shown me. And so he got the jack and we were holding our breath while he was jacking up that porch. And when he did, those patio doors began to open and close freely. God knew exactly what needed to be done and he showed Jack in a dream. And here it is years and years later and they're still opening and closing freely. Now when it came time to put in the carpet, that really did seem impossible because we had made a promise to God that we were going to pay as we go. And... uh, Uh, we needed 500 yards of carpet. Now, I knew exactly what I wanted. I I had uh, this carpet that I'd picked out that would wear well. 
And I started searching about a year in advance. And just about the time that I was getting ready to give up and think, there's no way. (laughs) There's no way for us to be able to get carpet. This little carpet place came into business, and they decided to do us a favor. They said that they could order us some discontinued carpet from a carpet mill in Georgia. I was able to get the exact carpet and the exact color that I wanted, and it was one-fifth of the price. I kept the invoice for, uh, and kept it in a box because I thought there's going to come a time I'm not even going to believe this. Now, they assured me that it would not be seconds. They assured me it was top quality. It was just discontinued. Now, we got the carpet about six months before we were ready to, to put it down, and they had sent 550 yards instead of 500. And so the guy said, well, when you get through laying the carpet, just give me the 50 yards back. Uh, It was in four big rows wrapped with a big white canvas. And so we put it over in the corner of the den and left it there until time to lay it. We pulled back the corner of one, and it was exactly what I wanted, and I was so excited. Well, about six months later, it was time to lay that carpet, and we felt that we were supposed to hire this father-son team. Now, they were a little higher, and we didn't even know them personally, but we just felt impressed that God was saying, that's who I want you to hire to put your carpet down. Well, the day that they came to lay the carpet, we were working outside, and after a while, one of them came out and said, did you know that you have big purple spots in your carpet? Well, I thought he was kidding, and so I didn't pay that much attention. He said, I'm serious. Well, we went in, and he had one row laid out in the den, and ever so often was just a big purple spot, and I could feel the tears beginning to well up in my eyes, and, and I thought, Lord what are we going to do? And so he quickly assured me, you don't have to worry. They'll have to take this carpet back. It's damaged. You don't have to worry about that. Well, what he didn't know is that during that six months, that carpet company had gone out of business and had moved. They had left no forwarding address. We had no idea which carpet mill it was in Georgia. We had our carpet and they had their money. So we didn't think about there ever being a problem. And so Jack told this father and son, he said, go home. We're, we're going to have to uh, get together and decide what we're going to do. And so we started quoting our scripture through tears at first. Lord, we're trusting you and will not be disappointed. Well, the next day when they came back, Jack told them, the only thing that I've gotten from God when I've prayed is that he's going to give you the wisdom to know what to do. Well, we knew then why we'd gotten this Christian couple because... Anyone else would have probably said, forget it, (laughs) we're through. But they went over in the corner, and they sat down and talked for about an hour. And then they got up and started measuring through the house. Now, we've got a lot of hallways, and some of the rooms uh, were wide at one end, and they would narrow down at the other end. And so they measured in every room, all of the hallways, and then they began to lay the measurements down on that carpet like you would put patterns on a uh, pieces on a on a piece of material, and they would adjust them and put them different ways um, until they were able to cut around those purple spots. Now he did tell me we have to have one row that doesn't have a purple spot because we've got to have one solid row for this big den area. Now <clears throat> the first three rows, as he opened them, they were full of purple spots, and I could just feel that disappointment coming up, but he just kept adjusting the pattern, and, and he, he would get it, and, and he had it all going the same direction so that the nap would lay right, but he just kept adjusting it until he would cut around, and so we had this big pile of scraps of purple spots, and when he opened the last row, 
It did not have one purple spot in it. It took all 550 yards. If they had sent us the 500 that we had ordered, then we wouldn't have had enough, but it took 550. God had given us exactly the amount we needed. Now, there were times when by the sight was so strong in the negative that it was almost like pulling flesh off our bones, not to just get into disappointment and say, oh God, it's not working. And it took a lot, many, many times to steadfastly determine, Lord, I'm trusting you and I'm not going to be disappointed because our mind would just be screaming, Lord, how can you work it out? But see, that was really none of our business. That was God's department. Our part was to choose to trust him, to fulfill any point of obedience, and to choose not to be disappointed. And his part was bringing it to pass. And we could never guess ahead of time how he was going to do it. But the trusting had to come first every single time. That statement, shall not be disappointed, is literal. He's not talking about dulling the pain. He's saying, I'm going to intervene, but you're going to have to trust me in the meantime. Now, we kept a diary every single day because with every day came new opportunities to be disappointed. And each one looked a little bit bigger than the last challenge. And, you know, sometimes you get weary when you're in the middle of it, especially we were doing a lot of the work ourselves and and, and Jack was holding down a full-time job. So even though we saw the Lord work time after time, with each new opportunity, it was easy to think, oh, I'm just tired. I'm going to give up. I'm going to throw in the towel. See, when those thoughts start bombarding us, then it's more important than ever to run to God and not away from him. See, the temptation is to pull back and, and, and to get into disappointment. But God said, don't ever run away from me. Run to me. Now, when we did and when we trusted future tense, we were never disappointed. Sometimes we had to wait two hours. Sometimes we had to wait two months. Sometimes we had to wait two years. But the time came that we were never disappointed. Now, we had written up a covenant when we first started the house to believe God for what he wanted to do in the building of the house. So early on, we had felt like God had said in the covenant to put that we would have a free telephone installation and a private line. Now, I didn't think that much about that because I thought, you know, why wouldn't we get a private line and free telephone installation? But I had forgotten that we were out in the country. And so when it was almost time to move in, we realized what we were up against in the natural. Our closest neighbor at that time was several miles closer into town than we were. In fact, he could look down the hill and he could see the telephone pole from his house. And yet it cost him over $2,000 to get it just run up the hill. Now, we were several miles further, and when we started estimating that in our mind, we realized that it could cost close to $10,000 to get a telephone. Now, the disappointing thoughts just began to bombard our mind, and I started thinking, you know, I may have to be out here in the country without a telephone. And it was really hard to put down all those thoughts that were coming. But once again, we began to determine, Lord, we're going to trust you, even though this looks impossible. Now, the next week, Jack felt like that we were supposed to contact the telephone company and talk to a man named Artie Ben Steele. Now, we knew that he worked at the telephone company, but we didn't really know him personally. We just knew who he was. So I called the telephone company, told them that we had built a house out in the country and that we needed a phone. And I also said, I would like to speak to Artie Ben Steele about it. Well, they very quickly told me that he didn't have anything to do with residential installations and that I would need to simply write a letter requesting someone to come out and make a a bid or a price for the installation. Well, 
you know, I, I never told the lady who I was. And so I decided, okay, I'll just write this letter and I'm not even going to mention Artie Ben Steele because obviously Jack must have missed it. When he prayed, he must have just heard incorrectly. And so I just wrote a letter just exactly like she said and told them we wanted somebody to come out and tell us how much the telephone would cost. Well, a few days later, we got a letter through the mail and in the letter, he said, I took the liberty of taking your letter out of such and such a department. We have started an underground telephone cable system, and it's almost completed between Brownwood and Indian Creek. And you're in range, and if you'd like to be a part of that project, if you'll let us know, we'll give you free telephone hookup, and we'll give you a private line. And the letter was signed, already been still. I kept the letter. I thought there's going to come a time. I'm not going to believe this. I'm going to have to have this letter. Sometimes God's answers will come in progressive steps. Now, to me, that's the hardest to keep trusting when it's when he's progressively working it out, because so many times it looks so bad in the interim. Now, our son, Bill, is grown now, but when he was in the sixth grade, he started praying and believing God for a horse, and he felt like God had told him he was going to give him a horse. Well, now, Jack and I tried to discourage him because, in the first place, we didn't want him to be disappointed. But he dogmatically insisted that God had said, I'm going to give you a horse. It's going to be, number one, a Palomino. Number two, it's going to be a good riding horse. And number three, somebody's going to come to know the Lord because of the horse. Now, Jack and I were very skeptical about that third reason because we thought that sounded a little bit manipulative. But it turned out to be quite a story. There was a man whom we'd never heard of from Del Rio. 300 miles away from Broward, who bred and raised racehorses. And somehow he heard that there was a little boy in Brownwood, Texas that was believing for a horse. Now, we found out later that he heard this from a man that lives uh, about 30 miles away from Brownwood. We have no idea how that man even knew about Bill's believing for a horse. But the Dell was a Christian. And so he decided that he was going to give a horse to Bill, he didn't even know his name, but to this little boy that was believing, as seed faith, and he even dropped that horse off on his way. He was going from uh, Del Rio to um, Oklahoma, and he came out of his way and dropped that horse off. Now, it was a beautiful Palomino, and Bill got up the next Sunday, and boy, he was giving his testimony. He was telling about his horse, and I got a call from a mother of a 15-year-old girl the next day who was in the service for the first time, and she heard Bill's testimony. Her father was a psychiatrist. They, he was a psychiatrist in Brownwood at the time. He was a confessed agnostic, and the dad had had such an influence on her life that the mother had never been able to get her in church before. And so she heard Bill's testimony, and when they got home that night, she said, I can believe in a God like that. Well, she accepted the Lord. She became one of our most faithful members. They've moved now, but every time I hear from her, she's still going on with God. Okay, two of the things that God had felt like God, uh, that Bill had felt like God had told him had come to pass. It was a beautiful Palomino, and someone truly had come to know the Lord because of the horse. But the third thing, that horse did not like to be ridden. He didn't like to, she didn't like to be ridden at all. And I kept thinking, Lord, why? It wouldn't have been any harder for you to have given him a horse that loved to be ridden. So we went through a couple of years of really being tempted to be disappointed. And we just kept thinking, Lord, this just doesn't make sense. 
But you know, in fact, we even tried to talk Bill into getting rid of the horse. We, we, we were struggling that hard. But Bill was absolutely steadfast. And one day he came in and he said, I feel like that the Lord's telling me I'm supposed to have the mare bread. And I just thought, oh no, you know, more problems. But you know, it was obvious from the moment that that coat was born that that was the horse that God was planting. See, he did it in progressive steps. That horse loved Bill. Uh, Bill and another guy broke the horse by themselves. He never even bucked one single time. He absolutely loved Bill. He would see Bill and come dashing across the pasture to get to him. And Bill went off to college, and he would come home after months of not having ridden that horse, throw a saddle on him, ride all over the pasture. And every time I would see him riding across the field, tears would just begin to pour out of my eyes because I thought, Lord, you are so good. Truly, we weren't disappointed. But like I said, sometimes God's answers come in progressive steps. And there were several years in there that there was a big temptation to be disappointed because the very thing that Bill had wanted was a horse that he could ride. So there were several years he would get on it, but every time he was on it, we, were, uh, we had to put down fear because the horse was doing everything he could to get Bill off of him. And so it took that interim period of waiting and saying, God, we're trusting you and we're not going to be disappointed. Now, after Jack's dad went on to be with the Lord, Jack sold a business that they had owned together. And Jack had never been without work before. So he got in too big a hurry and he took a job on a rotating shift because he just couldn't stand being without work. Now he never was able to adjust to that rotating shift and especially on the night shift. He said he just felt like he was in this one long jet lag. So for three years he prayed for God to deliver him from that shift work. And finally... A really good job in management came open, and it was narrowed down to Jack and one other guy. Now, Jack was a lot better qualified because of his 16 years in management. But the other guy got the position in spite of the fact that he didn't have several of the qualifications that were required for the job. Well, we found out later that one of the reasons that he had gotten that is because he was a real big drinking and fishing buddy with the personnel manager. Now, it was a really big temptation to think, Lord, you know, why? We don't understand this. You know, we, we've been trusting you and, and we just don't understand. But God just kept impressing us, trust me. Trust me and you won't be disappointed. Well, for months after that, that night shift got harder and harder. And Jack kept saying, Lord, I'm trusting you. But it is hard not to be disappointed. And it's very tempting uh, to, to say, Lord, why? I don't understand. Well, during this interim period, a new company came in, FMC, came to Brownwood, and Jack was one of the first to be hired, and it was a better position, and and it was better pay, and it was daytime hours. That's what he loved. Well, three months later, the 3M company had a layoff and closed the department that this other guy who had gotten the first job uh, was in, and this guy, after 17 years with the company, was out walking the streets. Now, if Jack had gotten that first position at 3M, he would have gotten caught in that layoff, and he would have also missed the job with FMC because of the time overlay. See, God is the only one that knows the future. He not only knows what's best today, but he also knows what's going to be happening down the road. 
He knows what's going to be best. So when there's progressive steps in it, we're, that's when we have to continue to trust and continue to say, Lord, I'm trusting you and I'm not going to be disappointed. See, we absolutely can't lose if we trust and continue to trust God. Now, I am convinced, though, that we can negate the word and we can never receive the promises that God intended if we allow the disappointment to come in and rob. Now, we're going to be tempted at times, but if we stay in that, then there's going to come a time we're going to miss out and the rock will become a rock of stumbling. Several years ago, Angela... Uh, was getting ready to go to the Philippines as a summer missionary. And they had to raise their own money. And one guy named Tim uh, was going to go on the mission trip with them. And he had already been asked to speak at the Bible college over there in Manila. And so he was really counting on going with the team. And he had done all the legwork to get his money together. And he had continued to confess, you know, that God was going to supply. But it came down to the deadline and he had not gotten his money. And when that happened, he got very, very disappointed and he got into despair. And so he began to say, I didn't want to go anyway. They said that he got into just a real bitterness. And so the team kept saying, well, there's a lot of us that haven't gotten our money. You know, don't, don't lay your faith down. God's going to come through. God can make a way. But he wouldn't listen to it. He just kept saying, no, God let me down. And the deadline has come and gone and I, I don't care anymore. Well, school was over and the team members came home and they began to pack for the trip. And someone from our hometown called Angela and said, God has laid it on my heart that there's somebody on the team that's not going to get to go because of finances. And I want to finance their trip. Well, Angela got so excited. So she went in and she didn't know where Tim lived, but she called the mission department and she told him to get in contact with Tim that someone had uh, given the money for his trip. And they refused. They said, no, he had a bad attitude. We don't even want him on the team. Well, she tried to explain to them that he only reacted out of disappointment, but they refused to change their mind. They said, no, we don't want him on the team. Now, Tim probably never knew that a provision was made. And I thought about that for a long time, and I thought that was a classic case of disappointment coming between a person and God's blessing. Now, the money was there. It had been donated. Tim never knew that God was faithful. And he'll go through life thinking that God let him down, thinking that God failed. But see, it's not God failing. There's times when we let disappointment come in. And when that happens, then trust goes out the door. And that rock becomes a rock of stumbling. And I've wondered how often I've missed out on the blessings because I laid down my trust and picked up disappointment and thought that it was God that had failed. Now, I am convinced that if we get into into disappointment and stay there and let bitterness begin to take root, then we tie something up in the spiritual realm because we've been given a choice. And because we've been given a choice and because God's told us what to do, I believe we can tie up those things. And you say, well, what about those times when something bad has already been stolen? Well, God promises that if we trust him and if we love him, according to Romans 8, verse 28, he'll still work things together for good. Our car got stolen out from under the carport and we didn't have any theft insurance. And it was a real temptation to be disappointed because we needed that car badly and and it was not insured. And and so we just thought, Lord, what are we going to do? Well, two weeks, weeks went by and the sheriff told us that he was quite sure that car was already down in Mexico. 
Well, there were a lot of emotions that became involved because we began to think, Lord, what's going to happen next? You know, if the enemy was able to come in this time, you know, where else do we have an open door? And so all this fear and reasoning began to come. But that has to be stopped because we're going to find out that reasoning and fear and doubt will always precede and open the door to disappointment. That's what the reasoning and and the doubts and and the fear thoughts are for. The enemy sends those to try to get us to open the door to that disappointment. Well, I can remember the night that Jack and I discussed the situation and we decided that we were going to stop that kind of talk. We decided that even though it looked as though it were too late, that we were going to trust God that some way he was going to work it out. And so we prayed and we asked God to forgive whoever it was that had taken the car and we chose to forgive them. One week later, a young man turned himself in, said that he had stolen our car and he had also stolen a company pickup from somebody else. And he said, I have stolen all of my life. But he said, this is the first time I ever felt guilty. And he said, I didn't like the way it felt, so I decided I was going to turn myself in. The time came that we weren't disappointed. He told us exactly where we could find our car. It was in another town. We drove to that town. It was exactly where he told us it would be. The only thing that was different, we were almost out of gas, and it was full of gas, and there was a can of oil in the back seat. (laughs) So the time came that truly we weren't disappointed. Now, we've had several occasions when it appeared to be too late. Several years ago, we had made an investment with a supposedly reputable uh, investment company, and we lost the entire several thousand dollar investment. And the temptation to be disappointed was even stronger when we began to suspect that this broker had been in a lot of dishonesty and that he had done this on purpose. And We couldn't prove anything, but it was very tempting to be disappointed. Well, Jack kept refusing to be disappointed, and uh, he and Bill kept praying and saying, Lord, we're going to trust you. We're going to choose not to be disappointed. Well, one day, Bill told us that he thought he was supposed to write a letter. So he wrote this letter, and two years later, we got a check through the mail, and we had the entire amount refunded, the entire amount. Everybody said that it was totally impossible in the natural to get a 100% refund when there was no uh, court procedure, you know, without taking it to court, that you just didn't have that happen with just a letter. But, you know, with God, nothing is impossible. It's worth anything it takes to choose not to be disappointed. It's worth anything it takes to ignore those negative feelings and those negative thoughts and ignore what seems to be obvious. Now, when David and Angela married, we had the wedding and we had the dinner at our house on July 30th. Now, in Texas, as you know, that's one of the hottest days of the entire year. It's practically always over 100 degrees. And we were dreading the heat so badly that we started praying a lot about that. Well, I had several friends that came from out of town to help me coordinate the dinner and to decorate, and we had 300 guests who had already responded with an RSVP that they would come, and we were having the dinner out there on the lawn. Now, this was before the drought had been broken in Texas, and it seldom even showered during July and August at at that particular time. But on July 30th, on the wedding day, the darkest storm you have ever seen began to build about mid-afternoon. 
And I remember looking out the upstairs window at these beautiful round tables all over the yard. And they had these pretty pink tablecloths that went down to the ground. And uh, they were in a big semicircle and had large baskets of flowers. And those large baskets of flowers on each table were literally being blown off and blown down the hill as fast as the women could run down and get them and bring them back. And they were putting big rocks in the, to try to weight them down. Now, the sky was black. I'm not talking about a summer shower. I'm talking about a storm. The trees were just filled with all these little twinkly lights, and it looked as though the wind were going to blow all of those lights out of the trees. Now, in addition to that, we had not heard a word from the band that was supposed to be there at 2 o'clock, and it was 4.30, and the wedding was to start at 7. And we even had a guy that, that was a friend that was going to fly over and take some pictures from, uh, from, the, uh, from the sky, and he said, now, I have to have it perfectly clear to be able to get, get good pictures. And we said, oh, don't worry, it's going to be beautiful, you know. Well, I can't tell you the mental pictures that were flashing in my mind. You know, first of all, I would see these guests drenched to the skin, and then I would see no guests at all, and and, and then I would see, you know, this dinner prepared for 300 guests, and where on earth I was going to put them. I couldn't even imagine a solution. And everybody kept running to me, uh, and they would say, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So Jack and I closed ourselves up in the bedroom, and we said, Lord, this is the biggest challenge up to date. And we're going to trust you. You know, I had poured myself into that wedding for the past seven months. And I knew that giving in to disappointment and anger would have been the easiest thing that I'd ever done right at that moment. Well, after we made our decision, Jack lay down for a nap. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, if we're trusting God that he's going to take care of it, I want to feel good enough to enjoy the party. Well, my faith wasn't quite there. But from 4.30 until 6, the sky stayed black. It looked as though the heavens were going to open and and it was going to flood. The wind was so bad that they had long since brought in all the flowers and they'd brought in all the tablecloths. But right before the people began to come at 6 o'clock, that storm went around. And within just minutes, the band drove up. They had been lost. It didn't even sprinkle. Not even enough to, it didn't even sprinkle at all, even to mess up the grass. Now, that storm had gone west from us. So when the guests came out of the house after the wedding, about 8 o'clock to be seated out there for dinner, it was on the hill, and the sun was setting behind those storm clouds, and it was absolutely the most beautiful sunset I believe I've ever seen. I don't think that we've ever had a sunset that pretty ever again. The very rain clouds that had threatened disaster turned out to create a sunset that was absolutely breathtaking. You know, the guests were constantly getting up with their cameras, and they were running to the edge of the hill taking pictures of the sunset. It was that pretty. And um, it was almost as if God had written his blessing in the sky. And I felt like I knew how Moses must have felt when he looked up and saw the rainbow, because this definitely was a perfect reminder that those who trust in the Lord, even if we don't see a solution, shall not be disappointed. Now that storm going over had blown away all the mosquitoes, had cooled everything down into the 70s. And for July, that's really something. And I just kept brushing back the tears that night. And everybody thought it was because my daughter was getting married, but it didn't have anything to do with that. Those tears were there because I could hardly contain the gratitude and the excitement that I felt in my heart toward God for his goodness and for all the ways in which he fulfills his promise. 
Now, this is a simple answer, but God's answers are so simple. And it's one of the most important and life-changing truths that you'll ever hear. I believe this is why it's in the Word verbatim that many times. Those who trust in the Lord shall not be disappointed. Now, God is so good. And I'm going to end with one example that's too humorous not to share, even though it makes me look really bad. During that period of time when Jack was between jobs and we were building on the house, money was very, very tight. So I decided that every time that I would run out of something, if it was not anything that we had to have, that I just wouldn't replace it. If it wasn't a necessity. Well, I ran out of vanilla and I thought, well, now that's something I can do without. Well, several weeks later, I was making this cake for, someone had asked me to bring this cake, and I started mixing the cake, and I realized that this was a cake that had to have vanilla or it didn't taste good at all. Well, we live way out in the country, and I didn't have the car that day, and and I just sat down in the middle of the floor, and I had this little pity party, and I began to say, Lord, this is really abundant living. I don't even have any vanilla. Well, immediately I realized how ridiculous I was sounding. And I was so embarrassed. I can remember that day my face turned red and I thought, oh Lord, I repent. And so I got up and repented and started praising the Lord. And that was over in just a few minutes and I completely forgot about it. Well, the next week I was helping this friend move and they were moving out of a large house into a mobile home. And so I was carrying up some small items into the mobile home and she was right behind me. And all of a sudden she said, oh, by the way, could you use any vanilla? And I just stopped. It was almost like I thought that the Lord had told on me. And I looked around thinking she had to be kidding me. And then I realized she didn't know about my pity party. And so as I turned around, she shoved this large man's shoebox into my hands and it was packed full of bottles of vanilla, every flavor that you could imagine, vanilla and, and almond and all kinds. To this day, I don't know where she came up with all that vanilla. And I just stood there speechless, and it was as though the Lord were saying, there, is that enough vanilla for you? <laughs> you think that'll do? And, and I could almost see him laughing. I, I believe the Lord definitely has a sense of humor. And it was like he was saying, I clothe the hills better than Solomon himself was dressed. I feed even the sparrows. Will I not furnish you with the vanilla that you need? Truly, those who trust the Lord today shall not be disappointed. Literally, if we'll trust Him and continue to trust Him. That's what He's wanting us to do. He's wanting us to come to a place where we say, Father, I don't care what it looks like. I'm choosing to trust you. Father, I thank you for all the wonderful miracles that you've provided and and, and the things that you've done in, in all of our lives. Father, forgive me for the times when I have doubted and where I have got into fear and where I have gotten into disappointment. Forgive me for those times, Lord. Forgive me for operating that law of sowing and reaping in the negative. Father, I thank you that you are a faithful God and we do choose to trust you and love you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.